Hey everyone, let me ask you a quick question. Are you creating too much content without actually having a plan to get that in front of your audience? Well, this episode is brought to you by Content Repurposing Roadmap. This is my flagship course where I take you step-by-step -step through my content repurposing strategy. You'll get proven systems, real-life examples, and fill-in-the-blank templates to help you get started. If you want to get more out of every piece of content you're creating, you can enroll for this course at contentrepurposingroadmap.com. Hey everybody, before we get started, I want to thank my friends at Hatch for producing this episode. You can get unlimited podcast editing and strategy for one flat rate by visiting hatch.fm. All right, let's get in the show. Welcome to Distribution First, the show where we flip content marketing on its head and focus on what happens after you hit publish. Each week I share playbooks, motivations, stories, and strategies to help you repurpose and distribute your content because you deserve to get the most out of everything you create. everybody, on this week's episode, I joined the Content That Grows podcast, where we dive into some of the biggest mistakes people make with content repurposing. We talk about the moment that triggered my semi-obsession with content distribution, and also some of the biggest distribution opportunities that SaaS companies have beyond social media for the rest of 2023 and beyond. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. It was a great conversation with Nate and everybody over there. And yeah, let's get into the show. So today we'll be chatting about content distribution and repurposing. Uh, I think there's a lot of folks in the SaaS world, in the tech world, where you mentioned content distribution, content repurposing. Justin's quite likely the first person that comes to mind for them. So excited to, to have him to chat through some of the stuff and really to start would just be helpful to kind of understand like, what was like the moment or trigger for you that really made you kind of lean in into heavy, like a heavy emphasis on content distribution and, and content repurposing. I think the biggest thing for me was when I changed jobs. I went from a a company where I was running content and had a whole content team of probably close to 10 people just on the content team, and then moved to a high growth SaaS startup where we had a marketing team and I was marketer number three. And so, mm -hmm. you know, our whole marketing team was a third of what my content team was. And just coming in, trying to get my feet set, trying to like figure out how to run an effective content strategy with less people, less resource, how to do that, what are the best ways. And that's really through kind of sheer brute force, but also necessity came in the idea of like repurposing distribution and just saying, I can't manage the current workload that you all were handling because it was insane. Like, let's cut <laughs> back on some of that, but spread it out and figure out how, you know, what's the ROI on these things. A lot of those things triggered back in my head even years ago, just in terms of like, man, we're creating a lot of content. What's the ROI, especially if it isn't ranking on Google? Like that was the way of measuring content success for years was right. keywords, impression or not impressions, but like sessions up and to the right growing over time. Yeah. And so when you come into a, a high growth startup, especially where SEO isn't maybe the play or that, you know, they're still trying to figure out what things they're trying to go after, how do you still do content successfully? And so that's where we really lean down to things like social and email and building those things out. Yeah, I love that. I think that that's 
you know, one of the good things having, especially on the consulting side, having worked with both funded companies and bootstrapped companies is the bootstrapped companies tend to not lose that sense of like scrappiness and, you know, find a way and like bandwidth constraints sort of force some creativity and, and whatnot. And so, and that can certainly exist in, in funded companies too. But I think, I think that makes sense. That's kind of where that came from for you was sort of that shift in the staff and size, but wanting to have the the big impact. So what were some of the things you see, you mentioned social email, but like what'd you start doing first to really kind of test it out and, and gain some traction? Yeah, literally the first thing I did when I joined was I started looking at the sort of twofold new content that was being created, you know, within the last month or so that I got there, because that was stuff that was top of mind for them. But then also looking back at the top performing content over, you know, the last year or so. And so Mm -hmm. taking those two buckets and then literally just started repurposing that content for LinkedIn and pulling out the best pieces and trying to create native versions of that content. So if we had different things on different topics, rather than trying to just throw a link out there and get people to click because they had already had a a decent following on LinkedIn. And so we kind of knew that was where we were going to be at from the social side and just figured out how to take that content and get it back out in front of that audience. Because again, it didn't take long to look through a GA (laughs) graph and figure out like, oh, nobody's hitting this content through search. You know, you throw it into SEMrush or to HA. Oh, no, nobody's Googling these things. And so these are ideas we need to get out into the marketplace. And so that was literally the first thing I did. I opened up a Google Doc. Anybody who who kind of follows what I have, I call them distribution docs, but they're so simple. But it's just like literally one screen has the blog content, another screen has a distribution doc set up. And I just started creating that content going back and forth and then yep. working with our social manager to get that stuff scheduled out. And then from there, learning, seeing what's working, what's not, and then building it up from there. Yep. Yeah, that's great. And it's you mentioned a couple of times of like, there's not the organic traffic there and you need to to do something. But I think, I think there's a lot of value in doing it, even if you do have a ton of organic traffic. And one is just the diversity of channels and you're hitting people at a different context and different state. And ultimately, like, even if it is repurposing or, you know, copy and pasting and 80% of it's the same from part of a blog post, like it's still unique content you know, if you're tailoring it to the platforms. And so that's what we're always trying to tell clients and really everyone is like organic search is a distribution channel. You know, it's not like this thing and then everything else is sort of like secondary. Like it's it's a distribution channel and you have a lot of opportunity to build in some of the other ones. Yeah, I feel the same way, Nate. It's something that really dawned on me in the last couple of years too is because for me and maybe traditionally for a lot of, content folks in B2B, SEO was the distribution channel. And then it was like, you know, maybe we did some social media on the side, but it wasn't really like anything we were really driving traffic to. Our traffic driver was really SEO and trying to do that. So I think that is a shift. And that was definitely a shift in my mind and and probably a shift in a lot of people's mind too is, oh, it's just in the list of other distribution. It might be more effective for certain things, but it's just Mm -hmm. in the list of the other distribution channels. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think a lot of people at this point probably understand, and even if they're just hearing about it right now, as we're talking about it, it's a fairly easy concept to grasp at a high level, you know, like distributing your content, repurposing it, taking pieces and reformulating it for 
for other channels, but what would you say are some of the like, biggest mistakes that you see marketers make around the actual execution of this? See, both with prospects that I talk to or just people that I, that I work with is trying, even if they're not necessarily trying to do all the channels, there's this temptation to want to do a bunch of distrib- like distribution means five things or 10 things. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest hang up there is in order to do distribution well, you have to know the distribution channels that you're using well. Yeah. And it sounds like such a duh thing to say, but if you want to succeed at Twitter, you have to put in the work on Twitter to know what works, what doesn't, what your audience likes. What It's a grind. It can be a, yeah. a huge undertaking to try to make those things work. Simply posting on any given channel, it isn't going to cut it anymore. And and having an, I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but I know companies who have handed literally today in 2023, handing social media off to an intern or handing it Mm -hmm. off to, you know, and it's like, that's fine, but those are the results you're going to have. You know, you're going to have intern quality results on social when you could really build a system that takes advantage of those channels. And so, yeah, I think that's one of the biggest mistakes is just understanding the channels and being focused and not trying to spread yourself too thin. Yeah, I think it's great advice. How do you feel then about some of the tools that are like upload this one video or upload one thing and it like automatically repurposes, cuts it and like posts it to like 10 or 15 different channels? Where does that sit for you? <laughs> it, I mean, for the posting part, I'd be terrified of uh, if it was just yeah. blindly like grabbing content and throwing. That sounds awful to me. I'm getting more comfortable with using tools to get me 60 to 80% there. You know, I think that's one of the things that companies are, are wanting to do and individuals are wanting to do is speed up the process of repurposing. And if you have something that's really good and solid... I have zero problems with that. That makes a ton of sense to be able to, you know, chunk out the the yep. main ideas and those type of things. But I think we'll see, you know, where this goes. But I still think at the end of the day, social media is social and there is this sort of dynamic that makes it run. I mean, certainly a platform like LinkedIn in particular, which is a networking platform, you have to be active and get like engage and comment. And like there's an intrinsic value to being a participant in these channels a little less so on something like youtube or tiktok or something like that but even so you still need to know the nuance of the channel and understand what that what works and what doesn't and if you're just posting and you're not actively every day in the weeds or have somebody who is it's really hard to know what works like i was just working with a company and we're doing a a 30-day kind of initial look at what's been working and what isn't on social and just even within 30 days, you can start to figure out, oh, okay, this theme is really interesting to our audience. We posted about it half as much, but every time we did, the engagement was twice as high. So it's like, okay, that's like, that's a pretty good indicator. And again, it's it's maybe not perfection, but it's enough to say, okay, like next month, let's, what happens if we double up our content on this particular theme that we were talking mm-hmm. about? Yeah, and I, I would agree that there's, I think that some of those tools are good for execution efficiency but it's like you said it sort of still comes down to like making sure you're good with what's going out on them and then ultimately having a presence and engagement and everything else on those channels so like just because it can push publish to 15 or 10 
channels in one click doesn't mean that you should. But if you are prepared and staffed and capable of, of engaging there and you know the nuances, then by all means. So yeah, I think that's great. Any other mistakes? I know you kind of mentioned the the main one, but anything else that you see that you would want to note? Yeah, I, I think the main mistakes are, I mean, one of them, honestly, like with repurposing that I see is people just don't do it. <laughs> they know they should like distribute and repurpose their content. And I, I have heard it so many times. It'd be funny to hear if you've heard this too, but it's like, it feels like it's cheating or it feels like cheating in a bad way. Not like, oh, I got this cheat code, but like, oh, it feels like I'm cheating. I'm, you know, the person next to me's desk on their paper. It's like, no, like you created this content. Hopefully it's really good. Like you're actually doing your audience a disservice by not getting that back out there in front of them. And another myth with that is like repurposing is just copy and paste or it's super easy. Like repurposing and distributing your content does take effort. Sometimes maybe just as much effort some ways, depending on what you're doing. But what I have found is that by repurposing either the same content themes, the sa- even the same content, it takes away some of the mental strain to feel like you constantly have to be coming up with the new angle and the new ideas yes. and the new things. And like that alone is enough to just like, ah, I can take a breath and I can prepare and understand. And honestly, when you know how to like I always say like put on those x-ray vision goggles and see all the things that can come off those pieces of content. It's kind of exciting to say like, oh man, if we're able to create this one really awesome thing, we could get a half a year's worth of really good things to keep that coming up over and over again. Absolutely. Yep. No, I, I think um, I hadn't heard anyone refer to it as cheating, but I think the some of the commentary that I've heard is definitely around like, isn't my audience going to notice if I'm publishing the same thing repeatedly? And, you know, I personally tested that a little bit and in just like, you know, three, four weeks apart, publishing this exact same post Mm -hmm. on LinkedIn and then kind of looking through and there was definitely, I don't remember what it was, but the overwhelming majority of like likes or comments on the posts were different people. And so maybe some of the people that engaged the first time saw it again, but like, you know, I pretty much on LinkedIn every single day and I don't know that I would really even notice you know, from your content or anything that you actually posted the exact same thing verbatim, (laughs) you know, like it's just, there's just way too much out there. But the other thing that that I mentioned sometimes is like, I don't personally want to be like a touring keynote speaker or, you know, like speaking at conferences all the time and stuff. But like people that do that, they typically deliver the same talk at every conference for like a whole year. And that's part of why they're so dang good at it is like that it's like, a play like they know their lines they know they're like where they're moving on stage and you know all that stuff and you know pause for laughter you know all that like it's real they have it down pat and they deliver it and the reality is that you may have people at multiple conferences that you're speaking at and it's fine they either attend it twice because they liked it a lot or they'll see oh it looks like the one i already saw before and they'll go somewhere else because you're often you know at a conference trying to decide between multiple things anyway so yeah, I think there's a lot of examples to prove that like it's not cheating. It's not going to be you're not going to get outed like someone's going to like call you out for that, you know. So I think there's, there's I have seen I've seen one person in the wild get called out and it was so lame. It was so yeah. so lame. Like I felt worse for the person who was like you went on November 4th and you already <laughs> posted this. Like what and it was like Man, that is so, so like it's yeah. so it's so much more on that 
person in the audience than it is on the person posting it. And I agree. I see the same thing and I say the same thing a lot. Like consistency matters. There's a reason why, like you said at the beginning, like for good or bad, like there's a reason why my name probably comes up one of the top two or three people when you talk about content repurposing and distribution, because I talk about it all the time and I talk about the different aspects of it. And that is an opportunity for anybody and for any company to do the same thing. Like I can guarantee you because I can show you what I did. It was not rocket science. It was like consistency, staying on message, having something worth saying, like all those things over and over again. And because the other thing I think with that is people are scared that the audience will get bored. The audience will leave, you know, they'll unsubscribe. And to be fair, That will happen, and that happens to me all the time. People unsubscribe from my email list every day. People probably unsubscribe or or mute or hide me on socials every day. It would not surprise me at all. But that's okay, because those people are no longer interested in what I have to say. And for every one of those, hopefully there's 5, 10, 15, 20 more new ones that are coming up. Yeah, I love that. So in your opinion, kind of shift gears a little bit, what would you say is the biggest value proposition regarding companies like repurposing their content? I think at the end of the day, like it's probably just a pure dollars and cents ROI, uh, time and money for both is a really important thing. I think also like, especially for companies who are doing those big quarterly or yearly pieces of content to have a strategy to not just release it in April and then talk about it again next April, But to have a strategy that involves taking that piece of content, building on it and building it up throughout the year is super important because, I mean, there's a lot of time, money and effort that goes to sit on an archive. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, it's a good way of putting it. I think there's, you know, for me, the real aha moment was a bit, again, of a a bandwidth constraint. So we just, it, it was a couple, I don't know, maybe like 18 months ago or so, we were just at a point where we were just really with our team size and client load, like we were pretty full. And so like, we weren't really creating new content. And I think we maybe had 10 posts on our blog. It was very, very early. And I wanted to just keep coming up with things to share on LinkedIn and like, and educate. And so I just kept kind of going back to some of those posts that I'd written or someone else and would just kind of like read through and you realize like, you know, after doing that over and over and sort of being forced to go back to the well, because, you know, you're not creating anything new, that you start to realize how much life you can still get out of that post. That's not just like, you know, resharing the entire post, but, you know, that one image works well, do a single image post with some text, and then there's another one, then you can do carousel, and you can do a roundup of the high level points, and you can go deep on another point and like, you know, not obviously not telling you anything you don't know, but you know, for me, it was just, that's where it really kind of became like, wow, there's a ton here that otherwise just isn't getting seen, you know, other than some of the organic traffic that we're getting, but we're not a huge brand and there's not people just choosing to come to our site to explore and stuff, you know? So that for me was, was really big realization. And then, you know, from that, we also just saw like, you know, continued growth of our profiles and therefore, you know, more interest in our services and leads and all that entirely from content that had already been written and we weren't creating any new blog content at the time and just creating social content from it. So I do agree. I think there's just a ton of of opportunity that any company can have. And especially when you come into a company that's got, 
you know, maybe a, a thousand blog posts and a bunch of, you know, recorded webinars and eBooks and stuff. And you're like, like we could not create anything new for a really long time and just distribute or just be ramping that up and doing both at the same time. If you have bandwidth, then then just go that much faster. But it's a lot of, a lot of opportunity sitting in the archive, like you said. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's those things that are so blatant that you should be doing more with that you're not, you know, like one, one client I, I was working with, they had a series where they were, it was a, multiple years old at that point, but people who had watched it converted at a significantly higher percentage than people who hadn't. So it was like, yeah. oh, okay, let's take all this really good information that is in this series that you have and let's repurpose it and get it back out in front of the audience to where they don't have to just stumble upon it one day and, and be able to get it. And so being able to do stuff like that is really good and and being able to take those things and Again, it's funny how much you you can get out of the things that are, you know, the 10 blog posts that are sitting on your website or something like that. Because like you said, your audience, unless you're showing up in Google and showing high in Google, your audience isn't going to be able to see it. Yeah. I want to share this random, I guess, kind of story real quick, but it feels very related. Prior to Sprout, I worked for like a you know, SEO digital agency and I had this client that was a plastics company and we were basically building a new website for them and then like, you know, some other stuff. And I was meeting with them basically like, how are we going to get all the content for all the product pages? Like you have hundreds of products and whatever. And then they were very much like, there's no way we're going to write all of that, you know, for the website. Like we don't have that. We don't have all the content. And I don't remember how, but somehow through the conversation, we found out that they had a spec they call it like a spec sheet or something like that for sales and it was literally a 294 page pdf with one page for every product that had like the name the specs an image like all the dimensions colors like all this stuff and i was like each one of these is like a web page you know like it's all right here you have all this content but like to them they didn't even think of it that way it was like oh we have to create new content for the website you know and so I think that like you're you're saying people can just get so close to what they're doing and what they have that they can't really see that there is the opportunity to do that. So last question real quick on this topic and then we'll kind of jump into the, the final four. Um, so we talked a bit about like social media and I think that's one that a lot of folks understand and probably default to, but any other distribution channels outside of social media that you think like for SaaS companies that they just aren't using it enough or like might not even realize that it's a good one for additional content distribution? I think we'll talk about this maybe at the final four in some way, shape or form. But I think funny enough, I think email newsletters are having kind of a comeback with the yeah. rise of, you know, Substack and, you know, all these different platforms to be able to do that creator economy, all these things where you can get information, education, entertainment delivered directly into your inbox from whoever you want. So I think it's underrated. I also think from a B2B perspective, it's probably underrated what and how you should actually provide value within that channel and not just be a constant drip of product information or here's our blog roundup or you know stuff like that, but actually providing something unique and interesting and, and helping your audience every single week and giving them some incentive to be able to actually want to sign up versus 
hey, sign up for our newsletter. We promise we'll like wink, wink, nudge. We promise we'll give you uh, good value if you give us your email. And so I think that it's underrated because I think if you can actually do that in a way that is useful and beneficial, it kind of can start to tear down some of the walls that have been left behind from like gating content and things like that. So if you're just providing mm-hmm. value and, and getting people who are super interested in what you have to offer and, and what you're interested in, building that list is a better way to do that versus like a little bit of the more historical bait and switchy type email list building. Yeah, I, I think that's great. And I would agree that there's definitely a, an increase in that you know, the, I mean, podcasts too, like podcasts mm-hmm. were a thing and then very out of style for many years. And then I think came back. And so, yeah, I, I do feel like that's just the, the market dynamic shift in people wanting to have sort of their own platform of podcast or newsletter or both that allow them to kind of communicate that. And then it's just very valuable for people. So, and I think you just did real quick dig in on that a little bit more though. I think I would love to have you maybe expand on, so you mentioned like, it's not just a place to like, just dump a bunch of links to your other content or something like that. And so to maybe kind of lead it and then you can refine what I'm saying or or add to it. But what you were saying before is, is the key is like, it's not, what are we going to come up with? What are we going to write in the newsletter? It's all the other content we're already creating, whether it's blog content or social content or something else. Seeing where there's value, what's resonating, and then taking that as a starting point, but then tailoring it, you're like writing it to fit the channel and, and be an effective newsletter. But it's not starting from square one, figuring out what the heck you're going to write about. You already kind of know what's working and, and kind of building from that. So is that a fair assessment of, of what you would do there? Yeah, absolutely. I think for if you're going to do a newsletter, social any distribution channel, I i mean, it's the name of my podcast, like you mentioned, it's the sort of I, the framework that I use to build that, all this stuff out is distribution first. It's a distribution first framework where you essentially reverse engineer everything off of distribution. And so by knowing you want to have an email newsletter as a core part of your distribution, when you go to record your podcast or write your blog post or do whatever that thing is, Newsletters should be a default part of your planning process because you know it's part of your distribution strategy. And so for me, like when I outline a podcast episode, I'm already thinking ahead as I'm outlining. I haven't hit hit record yet. I'm already thinking about what section in here or what's interesting in here that could go in the newsletter. And so I'm trying to like think that far ahead. So then after I've recorded or after I have the guest, and even if it pivots, I can have an idea to say, oh yeah, I wanted to talk about this these are those three things we wanted to touch on. I can almost have the outline for the newsletter written out of the outline that comes out of the podcast. And so that's like where the next level of like repurposing and distribution for me comes in is it's not an ad hoc sort of like, oh, let's look back. It's a proactive looking forward as well. Yeah, that's great. Awesome. So yeah, let's shift real quick into the, the final four. Same questions we ask every guest that comes on. First one being, what's a recent success or learning you'd like to share? Yeah, I think we touched on a little bit, but for me, it's that idea of being able to create platform-native content. It means you have to be knowledgeable on the platform. So if somebody's coming to you and saying, hey, we need to explore XYZ channel, that's fine to do that, but make sure you're actually going to be able to put in the time and effort or hire somebody uh, 
to put the time and effort in to be able to know that. Just having a social media person, I think, is going to maybe shift and evolve over the next few years because having somebody do YouTube is completely different than Twitter, which is completely different than LinkedIn. So I think there's just more nuance in that and in knowing those channels. Yeah. For your company, what role does content play in the overall strategy? Yeah, for me, it is the entire strategy. It's literally my entire marketing engine. And again, for me, I'm just, I'm doing consulting, I'm doing advising and and some execution. So I don't need a giant arsenal of clients that I'm working with at any given time. But for me, it really does drive interest. It drives engagement, like building the podcast, writing the newsletter, being on LinkedIn every day. Those things really do drive interest in me. I'm sure you see the same thing like you had mentioned for 10Speed. And so it's funny because moving away from working at at a company and in a company, I can see all the things that are working that aren't easily measurable, like that DM from somebody who said, listen to the show, let's have a conversation or, you know, just these different things that come up that aren't tracked in a dashboard necessarily. And so I think being able to see those things run effectively for my company has been honestly key to then help the companies that I'm working with as well and see, okay, let's re-add those back into into these clients and their companies and be able to help them see the same growth and be able to understand the mindset that can help them get there. How does your company define success for you and your team, (laughs) which is you? Which Uh, is me, yes. Yeah. You know, you can answer it your way or, you know, if there's some clients you want to kind of talk how they, you know, measure and define success. Yeah, it's different depending on the client because for honestly, for some people, it's like success equals getting a consistent system that they can execute on and not stress out. <laughs> you know, that, right. that is success for some of them. Others are are more advanced and they want a system that is going to be able to get them in front of their audience, get more out of the content they're doing, be able to show kind of like that repurposing multiplier to be able to see what are, okay, if we didn't repurpose this content, we are getting X. Now that we've repurposed it, we're seeing Y and being able to track all those things. So just getting more, whether that's impressions, views, watch time, all that stuff, more bang for the content buck out of what they're creating. And some people it's, you know, hey, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, right? Like, can we pay the bills? Are we making more money? Are we getting more clients? Are we getting more leads? Is this working? Is this not at the end of the day? That's what it's going to come down to. All right. And last one, what's your least favorite marketing conversation happening on social channels right now and why? I thought about it and it was going <laughs> to... I should just say AI because it's everywhere. And I'm like, <laughs> if I have to hear another AI conversation, I'm going to go crazy just because it feels like everybody... It's just one of those things that that caught on and is catching on and is trendy. And so everybody wants to talk about it. I will say that I think in general, anytime anybody says anything's dead, I kind of cringe a little bit because for the most part, things don't die. The classic Mark Twain quote, uh, you know, history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. I love that because I think it's so true. Like, like email, like we talked about was a great example, uh, podcast, like these things that sort of, they rise up, they fade away and then they rise up again, or it rises up on a different platform or it, you know, these things just are cyclical and history does tend to, to rhyme with itself. And so, I would say that my least favorite marketing conversation right now is AI and how uh, all the things that that's going to happen. I think there's a lot of uh, yeah. 
a lot of pontificating on what could happen. And at, to be honest, we just don't know. And so I think like freaking out or worrying about it at this point is more stressful than it probably needs to be. Yep. 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 I'm with you. Cool. This has been awesome. Um, before we kind of wrap up anything else, you know, on the topic of content distribution, content repurposing that we didn't cover that you'd like to speak to? I would just say start small and start doing it. Like it's not difficult. It's not hard. Pick a channel that you want to start repurposing on, pick a couple themes, go look at your top content, figure out what you want to be able to repurpose that in into some different formats and just start. And I think to your point, like when you're forced to start and you're forced to figure out how to do some of those things, you know, for me, one of the things I did when I was a TechSmith was we took a 10 week sprint where we didn't create anything new as a team. And we said, we're only going to take our stuff and we're going to update our old blog post. We're going to do, you know, right. purpose some of the other things. And it was amazing to see the progress we made because we, you know, did things like added CTAs to our blogs and updated content, improved the rankings, worked with social yep. to understand what our top content even was. Like all of those things that can make a really big impact. And so I would just say, don't be afraid to start. Start small and look at what's working now and and just try to do more of that. All right, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Distribution First. And thank you for listening all the way through. I appreciate you so, so much. And I hope you're able to apply what you learned in this episode one way or another into your content strategy as well. Speaking of strategy, we have a lot of things going on this year that are going to help you build your brand, 10x your content, and transform the way you do content marketing. Make sure to subscribe to the show and sign up for my newsletter at justinsimon.co so you don't miss a thing. I look forward to serving you in the next episode as well. And until then, take care and I'll see you next time.